Hi and welcome to another episode of Coffee with Mirko. Thank you to be here. Uh, it means the world to me, just the fact that you're listening or watching this uh, podcast and stream. So I'm very happy to have you on and I hope that you're safe and sound. Today we are interviewing another amazing uh, coffee character in the, in the game, uh, Matthew Days. So uh, can't wait to hear from him and uh, I really hope to see you all enjoying asking questions and just uh, be uh, interactive. Uh, always love to read your questions and ask it to our guests. Um, if you're new, feel free to share this uh, podcast live stream, uh, whether it's whatever platform you prefer. I just think that uh, it's nice to bring the community together and uh, just having that sense of belonging, especially if you if you love love coffee. And uh, Matthew, just tune in. So without further ado, we'll bring him on. Hello. Hello, bonjour. <laughs> yes. Yes. Even though I'm not sure, I never, I'm never sure with uh, people from Switzerland, where is the French side, the Italian side. It's, it's, it's a mixed bag. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, thank you for coming in, Matthew. I uh, really appreciate it. And uh, uh, how, how, how are you doing? Very good, actually. Um, it's been uh, it's been great. Um, I think Switzerland is in a good recovery uh, after this pandemic. So now things are reopening, and uh, you know people are coming back to a cafe. So well, it's it's pretty good. Good, good to hear. And uh, obviously, we had Amy here just uh, maybe last week or a couple of weeks ago. So <laughs> I'll spare you the the questions that we already she already answered. Um, for, for people who are just tuning in or who will listen to this podcast, um, I think it's always relevant to start from, how did you start your coffee journey? Mm -hmm. So actually, I was more into tea, to be honest, um, when I was uh, working in Paris. So I, I started to work in Paris and you know I needed, like many people, something to, to hold and, um, and it, was, uh, it was tea a lot and so i was more into this i thought it was uh, it's quite easy to do and uh, you know you have quite a varieties of taste and only when i moved to switzerland actually um i had a period between two jobs uh, where i have not much to do i had a lot of free time so i started to go and explore a city and i went to cafe and uh, in fact one of them was a uh, kind of like a specialty coffee and I remember the barista told me, oh, you want a single origin coffee? And I had no idea what a single origin meant at the time. And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Uh, and the guy said, oh, you know, it's like a, it's coming from one estate and you're going to have distinct note of like vanilla, caramel, uh, chocolate. And I was like, what is he saying? Like, this guy is mad. Like, you know, coffee is coffee. Like, what is he saying? <laughs> And, uh, and then I tested, and I don't know, I was in a good mood, or I don't know why, but then I could get every note he was saying. I was like, yeah, I really get, I really get those notes. It's amazing. I didn't know coffee was, uh, was that good. And, and then actually I asked the guy, 
uh, like, can you teach me? And I said, I'm not a school, like, you know, I'm like, a, I'm, just, I'm just a cafe, right? But if you want, you can, um, you can jump in and, and see what we're doing. I was like, oh, okay. So you have to imagine I was in suit at that time because I had like a corporate job. So like, okay, let's go in. Uh, then he showed me the grinder and the machine and you know how it works. And I was fascinated. And uh, since that, actually, I bought a machine. I started to buy coffees from all over the world to get my palate and to understand, you know, the, the differences. So, yeah, it's crazy. Well, I think it's amazing. I think what I love about this podcast is that this question always just bring a, a very common factor for most of us, which is, you know, we don't look for coffee, but it's coffee that finds us. Um, you know, you're wearing to tea in a suit, and from there you just start an amazing journey. Which it, you know, from there then you won several barista competitions um, and also made it to the top six in the world. I mean, I mean, from that moment, how defining was also within your career uh, winning this competition and proving not just to the world, but most importantly to yourself you know, the, the journey that you have taken. Yeah, I mean, like, there is a lot of luck factor. I think, uh, I, I guess Amy told you as well. It's, uh, you know, we went very fine to the world, but also because, you know, we had like, uh, we met a lot of people along the way that helped us uh, to, to shape us, right, in, in the world of coffee. So I think the community, it's, it's almost the most important. Um, for sure, we must have some kind of talent and, and a bit of luck there. But I must say, you know, we, we, we started with this roster that really find us. Like, it was, I'm always looking for new people to compete. You guys look passionate. Uh, I'm going to help you. You can come to my roster, taste all the coffees. So it's like if you don't meet those people, you never reach those, uh, you know, those competitions in a way. So, you know, we got very lucky along the way. Uh, I mean, you need to give yourself some credit. I think, uh, you know, I rewatched recently your routine from 2019. I think out of all routines that I watched in my life, it's just, uh, it's one of those routines that I really wished I was a judge. Um, you know, like from the boarding passes to uh, just, just for me, the best concept was you brought the coffee that you loved into competition. Uh, over you know the obvious higher quality uh, stuff um, why was this important to you so uh, the thing is um th thank you for, uh, for for those kind of words um so because i'm lucky to be a bit more experienced very time comp because it's already so last year was my third in the world uh third attempt and so I don't need to demonstrate anymore that I'm a good barista. Uh, and so that allows me to take risk and take coffee that might not have been taken otherwise, right? It's obviously easier to take a very good coffees like a Panama Geisha and then, you know. But then I thought to myself, okay, those farms, you know, you take those very famous farms, they don't need me uh, to be famous anymore. They already have the fame, they have their customers, uh, they do a fantastic job, they don't need me anymore. Whereas if I take underdog coffee, um, here I have a chance to expose them to the broader audience, right? So th that was my, my, my thinking along the way, and I was like, man, I can do that with three coffees, 
um, that are not so famous compared to, you know, the, the one that I've done. And I was very happy because that's exactly what happened. In the final, I was the only one with underdog coffee, so to say. The other one had very, very famous coffees. Yeah, I, I just love that. I think, I think that's also an approach that we require on a day-to-day -day basis uh, with, you know, your regular commercial coffee drinkers. I think approachable, humble, uh, transparent, still good coffee, but without all the whist whistle and bells, yeah. you know, yeah. and accessible. I think accessibility is important if people can actually get, you know, you can get good quality coffee without spending a uh, thousand or five thousand dollars per kilo. Yeah, and especially in barista, I think on brewers it becomes really, really difficult because the quality you're looking for is is so high. It really, it's it's tough to find like an underdog coffee that will go high. But in barista, because it's all about balance, very often the coffees that win or go into the final are not the one that you think. Uh, they're very simple coffees. I I mostly taste, you know all the coffees in the final and we exchange coffee afterwards. So I can have a pretty good palette of, of what that is. And you would be surprised. It's really, I'm, I'm very sure people got, you know, in very good cafe around the world, very similar experience, not knowing it, that they had top level coffees, really. Yeah, uh, obviously we're spoiled here in Melbourne. So we're yeah. quite lucky as far as that. And look, Vag is just pointing out how astonishing your shirt was in the finals and uh, i'm glad that he picked on that because I, I thought about putting in the question but then i thought oh i already said about emmy's shirt so it really looked a little copy but you both killed the shirt and the outfit i think it's part of part of the game and uh, and then in between all of this competition mama coffee was born um what values and ideas uh were behind the creation of this coffee yeah. company so it was at the start, the cafe was really about bringing those like really good coffees that we could have in competition or even on copying brought to the customers. Because unfortunately, when we opened, uh, Switzerland was not so much into specialty coffee. It was this uh, resistance to acidity and the myth about, oh, specialty coffee is very acidic. And uh, part of the reason was actually... Um, you know, we've been influenced a lot by the Berlin uh, movement. So Berlin had a huge influence in Europe and especially us because we're neighbors and we speak the same language. So Berlin was very, very strong. And um, when they started 10 years ago, they kind of like on purpose had even lighter coffee than you would expect. It was just like a reaction to say we're different from, you know, the, the others. And as a result of that, some people got really like, wow, it's so acidic. And I remember that, you know, the first coffee I would get from, from Berlin was like, it was undrinkable, to be honest. It was so acidic. And so that marked Switzerland a lot because then people would enter. And I remember the first customers would say, are you guys serving also normal coffees? Like it was really this, like they were so afraid, so afraid. Yeah, it was amazing. So we thought, mm, okay, actually, uh, specialty coffee, yes, it is a bit about acidity, but I mean, you can have very nice experience, balance, sweetness. Acidity is there to support the flavor, but it doesn't have to be a lemon juice. You know, it can also be uh, <laughs> very good. So that was our, our, our aim from the beginning said, okay, you know, 
everybody can come. We have this uh, slogan that we say, the best coffee is the coffee you like. So we're not going to impose you anything. We would have also like very normal coffees, like, you know, chocolatey, sweet, big body, no problem. But at the same time, if you want to have something else, we will have. So from the beginning, we would serve four to five different espressos just to give a choice. And the idea was to bring step-by-step step the customers that would come from, I just want my boring stuff, to ah, maybe I'm going to go to Ethiopian natural. It's an easy step. And then maybe the next one, I'm going to go to Ethiopian washed. And then, you know, maybe I finished at Kenyan. And, and, and that was the, the goal from, from, from the, the beginning. And I'm very happy because it actually works a lot. Like when we have barista coming from Aussie Cafe and they come to us, they always say, wow, your customers are interested in two coffees. And I'm like, no, it's because we make the effort. Those are the same customers. <laughs> you know, they also go to your cafe. They're not special people that hide somewhere. Uh, it's just that, you know, we, we took them and we explained to them and we take the time to explain to them the thing. I, I love it. And look, to top it off, Life Traveler 21 saying, I can tell you it's very difficult to take coffee after take coffee, mommy. The best coffee I had in my life. So I oh, think that sums it up. Um, uh, and I think, uh, and it just popped in my head, um, I think Switzerland makes a good case as far as specialty coffee goes because you have, you know, you speak usually in Switzerland without uh, generalizing three different languages. And I think it's important to be able to talk different languages about coffee. Not everyone speaks German, French, Italian, right? But it's important to analyze when do I need to speak German, when do I need to speak French, but into coffee, right? Yeah, so, yeah, so that's exactly yeah. So actually, when we, when we opened Mame, the, the, the first one, uh, we didn't have uh, the license to be a restaurant. So what that means is that we were officially like a shop, like a shoe shop in a way, right? Yeah. So that means you can only sell coffee beans, like raw beans, I mean, like roasted coffees, uh, but you cannot serve any coffee because otherwise you're considered as a bar restaurant. And so we were in the process of, of getting the license and the police was aware of it. So, you know, they would come and joke about it. And so at the beginning, we would have a machine and then the police was like, why do you have a machine? Because you're a shoe shop, right? So you can only sell the coffee bag. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. And, but we have the machine because, you know, if someone wants to try the coffee before buying the bag, he can try. And then there was like, yeah, sure. You know, they knew that it was very dodgy what we were doing. And so part of the thing that uh, we couldn't have is we couldn't have a menu because then otherwise, obviously, we were a coffee shop. And so we couldn't have any price either. So all our customers at the beginning of Mame and like for the next, the first six months, they knew that you could go in, ask anything you want because there is no menu and everything was like one price. So we, everything was like that. And it was, we had this like, uh, I think we called it like honesty box or friendly box. You, you give to that box whatever you think the coffee worth. Right? That, that's how it works at the beginning. And so as we had no menu, we actually used to put on a table the flavor coffee wheel from uh, counterculture. And it was part of the education, right? Saying, oh, coffee tastes like different flavor. And so like what we've seen after a while is that people would look at the flavor wheel and say, oh, you have all those flavors. Can I have the coffee with hazelnut? 
can I have the coffee with strawberry? Can, and I was like, no, it doesn't work like this. Like, you cannot just drink the flavor. You know? So, but then when we had finally the license, I'm like, actually, that's a really good idea. So we, when we could finally put the menu, our menu is the flavor wheel. And so we would pin the coffee that we serve into the flavor wheel. And the idea is exactly the same, is to say, maybe not everybody is very aware about what is a Colombian and what does that mean to serve a Colombian. And I remember very well myself when I didn't know about specialty coffee, you would come to a coffee shop and you ask the, the, the barista, so what do you have today? And the guy said, oh, in the grinder, I have Colombian washed. And I'm like, okay, I'm not sure what that means, but sounds great. And, and so that's, that's the fundamental problem, right? The language you're saying is that Nobody knows, you know, when you're just a regular coffee drinker, what's the difference between Ethiopian, Colombian, Costa Rican, right? So we felt that exactly to, to make it closer to, you know, like normal customers, so to say, let's forget about the origin, which doesn't tell much except pros. Let's forget also about the names that also don't really tell much, but let's go directly with the flavor. Like you would go to an ice cream shop and you, you don't ask where the strawberry is coming from. But you say, yeah, I would like strawberry or blueberry or vanilla, right? So we started like this, and it was such an easier icebreaker. And then after that, we, we, the guy can say, but why does he have those flavors? Say, ah, but because it comes from that origin. They do that process, and so on and so on. So yes, absolutely right. Coffee language. Which is simplifying communication, which will reach a wider audience and help. I think, it's, I think it really is the... The way to go, I think, communication, you know, whether it's marketing, social media, or, or whether it's face-to-face, -face, usually less is, you know, less is more, the simpler is better. So I agree. I absolutely agree. So I think Switzerland will make it great. <laughs> it, it just makes sense uh, because you speak different languages. And there's no problem if, if someone walks into Mame and he or she is a coffee professional, you can speak that language. Yeah. If someone walks in and they all they know is, uh, I don't know, uh, I can't name brands, but, you know, uh, fast food chain, a coffee, uh, you can speak that language. Uh, and then eventually that language, you know, they can learn another language. It's like languages. Yeah. Well, in, in fact, uh, I would say many of our customers still today would enter and ask for latte macchiato. And that is a difficulty for us because I'm like, mm, I know what a latte is, I know what a macchiato is, but I'm not sure that I know what those two together <laughs> mean, right? And, and part of the reason is because Starbucks is so successful uh, in Europe, but also in Switzerland. Like I think around the central station, there's like seven Starbucks and we are such a small city. So it's just a crazy number of Starbucks. And Starbucks has had put this latte macchiato, which I really still don't know what that is, but... And so everybody goes and say, I want a light macchiato. And so then we was like, mm, you want a lot of milk or you want just a little bit of milk? Like what exactly do you want? But it's, when you ask those questions, it's really nice because they trigger the conversation and say, well, by the way, do you just want like a, your regular coffee? So would you like to try something? And so on and so on. And then, yeah, it, it's really nice. I love it. And another thing that I like about Mame, uh, which I was going to ask, what's the meaning behind mommy and the name i have my own theory and i didn't read it i'm assuming that has to do with your names but one of them is flipped ma matthew <laughs> em uh, 
Amy, I don't know. Uh, uh, what I love is that you and Amy are both in coffee and together in real life. Um, how nice is to share the same passion with your partner? And I understand that brings, obviously, you know, there's moments of, of, of you know, because it's, it's still a business. Uh, but, you know, I think it's, it's great to see that happening under the same roof. Yeah. So uh, many people think that Mame is our two names, uh, which makes sense, uh, obviously. I think Bag uh, knows what it is. It yeah, exactly. being that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, well, Vag is actually a, a very good uh, a story. We helped him in the UK Barista Championship. Um, so, it was, it was very nice. Um, no, in fact, Mame, it's, it's completely different. It's um, back in the days when we, we started Mame, with a lot of coffee shops had like um, two names, like, I don't know, Smith and Smith or Francis and Smith or whatever. Like, like the, the, the name of the owners, uh, maybe something like this. It was like a cool to have those two names. But then I thought, mm, actually, you know, maybe like just a simple name that will stick to your mind uh, would be better and not necessarily associated to coffee, right? Like short, simple to remember. And so we were looking for a lot of things. And actually Amy brought that, she said, do you know how to say coffee in Japanese? And I was like, no, I actually don't know. And she said, well, the, the seed, we would say mame because when you eat edamame, it's a soya bean. So the bean, is mame and i was like oh that's amazing yeah let's do that because i'm sure you know first of all probably no japanese has put this in trademark in english and so when we look at it on the internet yes indeed everything was uh, purchased and, and not available like as a website or things like this in japanese language but in english no right so i was like okay that's free that's, that's nice so we can have a website and you know everything um, and for, it's simple, it, you know, people will stick to their mind and yes, people would think it's our name, but in fact, it's nothing at all. It's, it means beans in Japanese. That's it. That's fantastic. And, you know, back on, on your side, like how is it to share both the love for coffee as well, the love of, you know, obviously uh, with your, with your partner, like how, how does that work and how, how much more valuable it is to, to kind of be together in it? Yeah, tricky, but yeah. So I, I think you really have to have the personality for that. We're both very obsessed with it, uh, with coffees, and um, it's just simpler because as we're going to spend so much time on coffee, we can continue that journey also at home, and so it's much easier to share that with someone who has the same obsession. But it only works with obsessed people. Um, I think if we would be with normal someone that you know wants to talk about something else uh, as well. It would be very difficult because at some point it would say, you know, stop about talking about coffees or so to me, I was actually in a different relationship before I met Emmy. And, and part of the reason why it didn't work is because, yeah, my life was so centered around coffees that she was like, you're, you're too obsessed about it. Right? So it's, it's so much simpler when you have that passion that you can share with someone that understands the passion that you don't have to explain everything that he knows. Of course, he brings the challenge that sometimes we need also to you know, talk about something else and have our breaking moment and you know, pause and, you know. But in the day-to-day -day life, I must say, man, it's, it's much, much easier. That's fantastic. And, and I, think, I think you're right, I think sharing that passion uh, is key for many components, I think. But also, not just in a relationship, but even within a business, I think, and it's, it's really matching the next question, I think so many people pick you know, money 
over their passion and what they like. So you f we find a lot of people stuck into jobs that they hate, but they're meant to be good jobs according to mom and dad, grandpa, uncle, or, you know, what, what society tells us. W what would you say to people out there who are chasing their passion, in this case could be coffee, but they are stuck? Yeah. So... Um... 100%. I mean, you know, so I had this corporate job, like I was in a suit right away at the beginning of the conversation. I was earning my life very, very well. And mom and dad was very happy, right? It's like, ah, you, you, you made it, right? But in fact, I was extremely unhappy with, with my job. Not in a sense that actually, you know, I was in a company that was taking care of me, like, that's no problem. And I, I learned a lot. And I think part of the success of Mame is also based on that, that you know, I had the experience of a big company that can shape me in every aspect of it. So uh, that I'm very grateful. But the, the difficulty in job in office is that they, you don't really have real responsibility. Uh, it's, it's a lot of meetings and, and, and procedure to follow. It, it's, you know, you have to enter into this like kind of organization, which is not that easy. Now, when Amy and I decided to go into coffee, we immediately lost so much money in terms of salary. Like our salary was divided by two immediately uh, and for him even by three, I think. Um, and, and so we definitely didn't choose coffee for that. However, for us, it's, it's almost not, uh, it looks like we're not working. And that's, thing, that's, that's part of the happiness, right? It's like, I don't have any problem to wake up in the morning because I don't feel that to work. And when it comes to holidays, we don't really need holidays because I'm not tired that much, to be honest. And so that's why when we go on holidays, we go to farms and visit farms because it is a kind of a holidays for us, you know? So, and so that is great. Like to me, my happiness, uh, I think my, my general health is so much better um, because I'm doing what I love. Money, I mean, you know, I can pay the bills and I cannot have suit anymore, but that's okay. You know, it's, you know. <laughs> I, 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 I wish I could give you a hug right now. Um, <laughs> no, for real. I think, I think money is quite toxic and I think that sleeping at night is so much better, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and if your heart is not in it, uh, then it's going to be a struggle every single time. But also your decision-making and the success of your business will struggle from it too. I mean, uh, just, because, uh, just because certain things make more money than others, that's so, that's so untrue. Um, you know, I run, I run a business which is centered around coffee and I do social media marketing, but I could do it for another industry that could pay me more. If I did it for plastic surgery, I could get 10, pay 10 times higher and I would need only three customers instead of 15. What do I know? I'm not passionate about it. I'm not, nothing against it. But after a few months, I would, the love of coming up with ideas and creations would just disappear. And all of a sudden is, yes, I'm making money, but I don't like it. Yeah. So, you know, I, I definitely agree with that. And, uh, and if you could kind of turn back what advice would you give to yourself when you first started your coffee career? Hmm. Like if I, if I had to improve something, like if I had to, to do it differently? Or, or, or even just, you know, like 
anything, like even a sentence that you would say to yourself in terms of, you know, I don't know, be more patient or taste more or whatever. Yeah. I, one of the biggest thing uh, I would say, it's really um, like never trust what people are saying, but taste by yourself. Because um, it's, especially in coffee where, you know, not a lot is documented, not a lot is uh, scientific. Uh, it's, it's a lot about tasting, right? It's really like wine in, in a sense. I think at the beginning I was, I was listening too much people that would say, this is good coffee, this is a good origin, this is good for espresso, and so on and so on. Like, I'll give you the example of Kenyan. For many years, I never tried a Kenyan espresso because I heard that it was so acidic that you could never make a good espresso out of Kenyan. Totally untrue. You can do fantastic espresso <laughs> Kenyan. But you know, like you need to learn somewhere. And, and of course you listen big people and there is a lot of bullshit going on. You know, there is, they're not saying always like a true fast. So I think the advice would say, don't like stay open-minded, learn, but just try and try before having your opinion made, right? I love it. I love it. And look, uh, quoting Rubens Gardelli, acidity is not a crime, um, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is, and, and it's true. I, I don't know, for many years, for some reason, I never like, I never even tried uh, asparagus, even though it was homegrown organically from my father. And they asked me, why don't you try it? I say, I don't like it, but, I never even tried it, so how could I knew? How could I know? So I like that. I like that. Um, now, reaching the halfway mark of the interview, I got my out of the box question, um, and I think maybe you prepare for this because you know Amy had to answer. Um, if you could, who would you like to have dinner with? Um, doesn't have to be in the coffee industry. Anyone? Mm. So, I think. Uh, on the coffee industry, I would love to have a dinner with Tim Wendelbo. Um It's an official invite if, he, if he's listed. Um, no, because I, I actually don't know him very well. Um, we met a couple of times in championship, which is like chit chat, five minutes, here's my name. But um, I don't know him. And it's someone that I highly regard because he has done a lot and almost everything by himself. Like he's really a doer, a fighter in the sense. So, you know, like he started the coffee by himself, then he rose by himself. Now he's, you know, he won the world championship. Uh, now he bought a farm and he's doing all these experiments. So it's someone that actually is doing a lot for the industry, not almost the most talkative, like, uh, you know, like James Hoffman will be someone that talks a lot about what he's doing. So we're all very aware of what it is, but, Tim is more secretive in that sense, uh, more shy. And, and I have the impression that this guy must have had, you know, very interesting things to, to share on the dinner. So this I would love. I would love to have a dinner with him. Yeah, and it's not too, he's not too far, I think. You know, now that I live in Australia, Switzerland to Norway doesn't seem too, too much of a far destination. I, I had the privilege to have him uh, an hour on this uh, live stream. So oh, nice. Uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was quite, yeah, it was really nice. So yeah, having dinner would be nice with him. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for that. Um, and talking about doing things by yourself and the coffee industry, I think coffee industry, it's safe to say, despite some snobbiness, but it's actually far from perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I, you know, I think that we think it is a lot, some of us, but I think it's far from perfect because there's so much more to learn, discover, taste. If you, and even in terms of operations, as far as the experience of the customer and, you know, et cetera, um, if you could change one thing of the coffee industry, what, what would that be? So, I mean, one of the things that uh, I think is frustrating for a lot of baristas and uh, in a way customers as well um, is that, you know, we don't really have a control on our product. So if I go to a bar and I ask for beer, like a yeah, special APA beer, um, you know, there will be some differences on the keg and the age and everything, but in the big picture, in the grand scheme, you know what you get. And, and the bartender knows more or less what you're going to get. It's the same with wine. You know, they get the final product. They're very happy with it. And you get it. But as a barista, I might have dialed in my espresso. I'm happy with it. I redo it for you. It might not be exactly the same. It might be very different. I might have channeled. And, you know, a lot of things are going on. So that, I think uncertainty about the product uh, is very difficult. If somehow we could bottle the espresso or, or make it in a way that it's, you know, always the same so that, you know, once you're very happy with your recipe and your roast and the way you do it, and you could just like deliver it consistently, that would be amazing that that would change completely the game uh, to me. Because right now we're struggling so much um, to make it consistent, right? How many times we've been to a cafe and it was like, I wasn't as good. You know, but the next customer, the next day would be, oh, I had the best espresso ever. And it's like, yeah, because, you know, like it's very difficult to bake exactly the same espresso over and over and over and over. And maybe that's where, well, if I receive hate, I receive hate. But that's where probably fast food chains, you know, win the game. You know, like, I mean, I don't, I don't eat meat, but I remember back when I used to, I mean, McDonald's stays the same wherever in the world you go. They might have their own specialty because you're in Switzerland, they use something different, a special product. But, the, the, you know, the basic menu, it just tastes the same. And to be honest, Starbucks it, it is a fa you know, it is fast uh, coffee chain and their products are quite consistent. Now, we can argue whether, you know, whether we'd enjoy it or not and what's the component of it. Potentially, technology will start playing more and more a role in it. You know, even having the consistent, consistently steamed milk the same way, same as obviously scale, same as the pack press, you know, and, and the list goes on. Uh, so where do you see an area to improve this aspect? Yeah, so I, I mean, it's exactly to this. So the, so the difficulty is, to me, I don't want to be Starbucks or, or McDonald's, right? I'm, I'm not course. looking for standardization. But what I'm looking more is to say, when you make so much effort with the coffee, so you purchase your beautiful coffee from the farm, you know, that the guys put so many hours into sorting and processing, and, and then you roast and same thing, like you've done all your profile and you really get this. I think it's frustrating to say, I actually don't know what the product will be. Like it, it, there is so many viable that, you know, you put this product, but this product is unfinished. It, it's, you know, it's not like the wine where, you know, you put the same effort, but you give the bottle, and here we go. Like, you know, you, you would drink it. Uh, it would be the same experience. But now that coffee that we put so much effort, 
can actually be destroyed or ruined by you know the barista or enhance or even the the top baristas you know one day would be good another day would be mm -hmm. so i think that is very frustrating and there is really today there's no way to to yeah. that, that i see you mentioned the pack press and you know there are things to help and i'm totally in favor of that i think that that's brilliant i mean who needs to template you know just use pack press pack press is great same for the milk i think you know we we were the generation where we learn how to steam you know with the sound and everything but there is no point i mean you could have the milk already steamed like this um but but i think why i'm saying this is because if you look at the bartender and and the beer aspect people go there even though those guys they're not extracting anything you know they, they basically open a bottle or a tap and serve you you know what i mean but yeah. people go there it, it never undermine their work and value not at all and i think as barista we're a bit afraid of this because we're like oh but if i don't extract if i don't tamp if i don't steam then i lose my my value as as a barista and i don't think that i don't think this is true i think you're not losing it at all people would be much happier if there were a simpler way to get your espresso the way you like it all the time, you know, in, a, in, in an automatic way. But this, I've been chasing that for like years now. And there is, really, man, I've tried many, many things. And there, so far, I haven't found anything that, that helps. Um, a bit well, temping, a bit steaming, but, but the extraction itself, I haven't. I'm sure by keep trying, you know, this beautiful brains out there in the coffee world and combined, you, you know, the heroes of coffees of 2020 and, and then and and so forth it will it will just get better and i'm excited to see what yeah. you and your team will come will come up with um i just and i like i like when you brought up bartenders i think uh, you're right the level of confidence is so much higher behind a bar because i manage a jazz club uh, for for a bit when I, in my in my earlier days and it's true like you know that the wine is going to taste the way it's going to taste and you've done nothing to it so it's not your fault <laughs> like you might spill okay but in terms of taste you're absolutely right the confidence is just a different game and speaking of which oh actually there's a question from Kona uh, uh, Hawaiian coffee um, what would you change in a coffee farm perspective so I mean here's the myth that I would like to unpack at the coffee farm if you look the story that we've been told about, uh, that farm is a specialty, so makes specialty coffee, and so we, we should pay a higher price and, and everything is good. To me, the reality, and I discovered by by going to many farms, and I realized that the, the reality is quite different from the, the one I thought. In fact, um, a, a farm cannot be 100% specialty. That's impossible. And the reason is, is because when they start sorting the coffee after picking, so they pick all the coffees and, you know, they have all those different colors of different ripeness, okay? Here, there's the first where they're going to separate the good one and the bad one, okay? And then after that, they're going to process it. Maybe they're going to do some naturals or washed or honey or whatever. And then again, they're going to sort, you know, the good one and the bad one. So what happened is that I would say roughly half of the coffee is wasted and that from a coffee perspective from a farm perspective you have to do something about it you're not going to burn this coffee you're not going to waste or trash this coffee you need to do something about it right so 
Some of it will maybe go into a blend or to a lower quality. Uh, maybe some will go to the commercial aspect. And, and so that story has never been told. But the reality is, I think I had the, the numbers from a couple of farms. In a way, in a, in a coffee farm, the maximum you can do for being specialty coffee is something about 40. Maybe you will reach 50%. So that means half of your production, half of what you do, it's not going to be specialty coffee. It's going to be something else. And so... The real story that we should, we should tell is that when we do specialty coffee, we should also do commercial coffee. I know it's crazy to say that, but the, re the reality is if you really want to help a farm, it's actually better to say, you know what, I'm going to buy also your like, lower quality and maybe I'm going to make uh, you know, a blend that would be perfect for your milk drink. Because that's another thing, right? In the cafe industry, you know, half of what we serve are milk-based. We're a diary. We're much more diary than, than coffee, to be honest. You know what I mean? So, so if you combine this and you say, look, you lower quality, no problem. I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to buy it. Even though I'm a specialty coffee, I'm going to buy it. It's going to help you. You're not going to waste this thing. And I'm going to make it for coffee. And it's gonna, I'm going to make it for milk. And people are going to love it. And then you, you, the rest of the production, I'm going to buy it for my single origin espresso my, my brew and everything. And I think that story has never been told. And that I would love to change. I would love to change the approach that says, don't just buy the nano lot because by buying the nano lot, you kind of like, you disregard the other half and the other half exists. Uh, I, I, that's, that's so beautiful. I think that a lot of people who are going to listen to this and uh, yeah, I'll need to digest, like, digest that. I, I, that. That number and that, that research really comes to life. And I think that um, it's very interesting on how we could change that and how actually that change would actually help uh, the farmers themselves as well. Um, yeah, it's quite, yeah. Because, you know, actually, it's very interesting when you look at the finance. So I'm, I come from a business side, right? So I'm always looking at this. And sometimes I ask, you know, farmers, and, and some are very open to talk about numbers and, and say, so how profitable are your different coffees, right? And actually, you would be very surprised. The specialty coffee is very often the non-profitable one. And again, that story is never told. And I was shocked to know that, you know, someone would put so much effort to get like an 86, 87, 88 points that we, we love, oh, wow, so good flavors and, you know, those characteristics and so on. And so, but what we don't know is that to make this, the effort is so big. It, it's so consuming, you know, in terms of people to salt, to, to process, to dry. So when we ask for natural, you know, we never realize that, uh, you know, if you have to dry, it needs so much space. Because imagine you say, okay, I want all those coffees dry. It needs to be dry for like three weeks. But I mean, like, if you dry a ton of coffees on, on a patio or an Africa bed for three weeks, that's a lot of space that you need for three weeks. You know, so all of this is never realized uh, in, in coffee. And so when you really look at the effort at the financial pressure or, or the investment that they need to purchase that and the price we pay, even though we pay way more than commodities, very often it's not that profitable. It's very so shockingly, it is not. And so farmers will earn more actually when they uh, put less effort in coffees with those like 82, 83, 84 
um, that requires less effort. And yes, the price is lower, but then at the end of the day, they make a bit more. And I was shocked to know that because I, to me, every time I would purchase, you know, very expensive coffees, I thought I would do good to the farmer. And I had no idea that actually, not so much. Uh, that is super educational. And uh, so far, nobody has uh, told this story in 45 episodes. So thank you. That's really super insightful. So I'm glad that you had the chance to share this here. And uh, it's super valuable to know that. And I think I can see that I can see that with wine. I mean, I, I used to uh, trade wine back when I was in Italy. And when you talk to some sellers, you know, you have that characteristic of then, oh, what do you do with all these leftover grapes? And then it's like, oh, well, we actually, you know, we actually have bulk wine where a lot of times you re we resell it to the farmers where they come with their bottle of wine. It's lower quality, yara, yara. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, oh, it's like apples, you know, bad apples end up being, you know, sold for, to make jam or juices or whatever. So it's, yeah, it's very interesting. Nobody ever talk about what happens to, yeah, the bad cherries. Hmm, I'm going to look into it more. Uh, thank you. Um, and going back on a little bit on coffee and improvements, it's not just always about, uh, you know, we're talking about just a minute ago, uh, what can we improve as far as, service and things around it. What do you think that there is an area for improvement when it comes to home brewing? Because with the lockdown and the virus, more and more people are brewing at home, more than ever. Uh, what do you think is a key element to improve the experience, which will never be matched to a cafe served by a professional, but what's the best way to, to, to bridge that gap? Yeah, so 100% um, for sure, water. Water, water, water. But that's like, so when we started to travel for coffee and doing some, some workshop, it's funny because, so we went to Russia, for example, like uh, two years ago. And, you know, you would think about, oh, do you guys have a grinder? What type of electricity? What coffee do you have? Like you think about all the logistic aspect, but you never think about the water because, yeah, I mean, everybody has water, so it should work, right? We arrived there and we taste the coffees, our coffees, and I was like, man, it is so shit. Oh, it's horrible. It's, and then I was like, what's wrong? Is it the grinder? Is it what happened with the batch? Maybe I roasted wrong. Or like, you know, what happened, right? And then we check everything. Everything was correct. And then I'm like, let me, let me have a look at the water. And luckily, I had a TDS, so I could measure it just to get an idea. And then I look at the water. I'm like, oh, my God, the water is horrible. And then, of course, Talking to baristas, they said, oh, yeah, no, don't use this water. It's, it's, it's horrible. So what we do is we use those, like, you know, in um, in U.S. or maybe in Australia, you have the same. In offices, you have those, like, a blue yeah. blue bottle, gallon, like, you know, you get your water. Yeah, that's what they would do. So they would say, oh, we buy those blue thing. Um, and then I'm like, yeah, but what's the quality of the water? Oh, it's very low. It's like, you know, 30 ppm. But it's way better than uh, the water we have, uh, you know, from the tap. Okay, so we test that. Coffee tastes very sour because, of course, the water is so low in minerals, it, it cannot be right. And so we would multiply that experience over and over. In Japan, we had exactly the same. Uh, you would go to U.S., it's exactly the same. The water is such a problem. Even in the Nordics, the Nordics has exactly you know, the same problem. The water is so high in minerals. Coffee really don't taste good. So, you know, a professional, for sure, we have all the solution. We filter the water. We have re reverse osmosis. So in our cafe, water is mastered. 
to be sure that the coffee will taste good. But nobody says that. And so at the home, what do you do? You take the water from the tap. I mean, you're not going to get filtered water. It's way too much investment, right? So that's why most of the time coffee don't taste good at home is because the water is it's just not good for, for coffee. And so, you know, we, we started a subscription at NAMI and, you know, we send very expensive coffees, like really top-notch competition stuff, like really good. And I was very concerned that, you know, people would get exactly the same. They would say, oh, but the coffee is not that good that you, you're sending me. Maybe just because, you know, they don't have. So we send, uh, I think it's called this aqua code. It's a, it's a liquid that you put in, in a raw distilled water, and that gives you perfect water for coffee. And you don't have to use that. You can use, like, others. There are, like, plenty of suppliers that do that. But... To me, having the water perfectly for the coffee will improve. But, but like, you know, forget about having a good grinder, fresh coffee, da, 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 da. This is like maybe has a 90% impact, like way, way bigger than, you know, before thinking about buying a, an expensive grinder. Forget about this. Like you, you can, you know, it doesn't matter. The water will have the biggest, biggest impact by far, really by far. Wow. And, uh, and I think I'm, you had Maxwell, I think, on your... Um, yes. Exactly. Yes. I was yes. going to say and, that. <laughs> exactly. And, and I, I guess he, he, he talked about it. And I, and I cannot be more agree on this. Like, the peak is... Yeah. So you can take peak. This is perfect. That would work 100%. That will improve so much more. So much more. Experience. I, I was literally going to say, well, a <laughs> perfect timing for you to answer like that. Because, yeah, we talked about that. And uh, in his opinion, then, after water... Uh, grind is uh, the priority. So that was his answer, actually. Um, giving good water grind to him is the second most important component. Uh, so, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I have my breed up jug, and, uh, but I'm also very sensitive also to the taste of water coming from a mount. I come from the mountains in Italy. So, uh, you know, when, when, when we go to big cities, even in Italy, Water is undrinkable by 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 the glass, and and when I when I brought over friends from overseas back back to my hometown, I'm like, oh my god, water is gonna be tasting so good, but their palate is not used to it, so they don't even can tell the difference. For me, water is I'm so picky on it, despite even before I was drinking coffee. Uh, so I'm glad that water is uh, into the picture. Um, now, we brought up wine a few times, and I think that wine, um, there's a few elements here. First of all, price. I wish coffee was priced like wine. Going back on more profit, more profits for funds. Second, I find that coffee, once it's roasted, is largely consumed locally rather than globally for a whole sorts of reasons, logistically as well. Um, could you see an interest or a potential to start expanding and having more and more international conversation with coffee? I know you and Mama send it all over, but just at scale, because what I see with wine is that any range of the spectrum of the market, whether it's lower tier, medium, or high, you can see a lot of sellers shipping overseas, right, left, and center, no matter the quality. And I think that component should be explored more so that more and more people have, you know, the experience of drinking Melbourne coffee, Sydney coffee, Switzerland coffee, 
roasted in those countries. What's your take in this comparison between wine, which is more globally, but also priced towards more profit for farms? Look, it's, it's a difficult conversation because it has to do a lot with your impact uh, ecologically in the planet, right? Um, you know, if the idea is to ship uh, a container of coffee from, let's say, you know, I don't know, Brazil to Switzerland, so already you burn a lot of fuel, and then from that you're going to, you know, you know, fly it over everywhere, um, ecologically, it's not so good. I, I like actually what we do now because it is locally roasted, so at least the impact um, is less. Um, but it, it's look, it's a difficult thing. I, from a price perspective, I think the price is obviously way too low because when you look at you know, if wine is one comparison, but compare even to just a fruit, right? Uh, coffee is a fruit, so when I get my apple, or now seasonally, right now we are into peach and plum and, and things like that. The guys, the, the only thing they have to do is they have to harvest, pick it up, and sell it. That's it. That's all what they do. And sometimes it would cost more than a coffee that has been picked, salted, washed, processed, sent, roasted, packed, and it's like it's insane. Like how is it possible that this costs the same price? But to, to that argument, I would also say, yes, but coffee is a daily product. So you drink it every day. That's why the price has also to be with, you know, the, the, the wallet of everybody, right? The of wine, course. you don't drink wine every day. I mean, you could. I'm, I'm not sure I would advise That's that. That's why you <laughs> Yeah. So it's something that you drink less. So obviously, you could put more price. Um, and I think it's like the spirits is the same. Like, you, you know, you have a good bottle of whiskey or cognac. You're not going to drink it every day. So that's okay to put more price. So I think that's why the price, it's never going to change too much because of that daily consumption that we have. Regarding the, the, the transport, I think what we should explore, I'm, um, I'm not big enough to do it now, but I hope once I can buy more, there is few companies that have started to have cargo, uh, so, so uh, ship transportation overseas by wind. And if you think about that idea, it's a brilliant idea because we don't need fuel, because we don't need accuracy on transport. If the coffee arrives a week later than it should arrive, it doesn't matter because it is not a product. You know what I mean? Like the green bean can, can last for a very long time. It's not a fresh product that needs to be delivered with, with an accurate date. So what I'm thinking is what could work very well for coffee is that we, we start putting more and more of those cargo that are wind power. So the impact ecologically is much less and coffee arrived when it arrived. If there is a lot of wind, then it arrives you know, sooner. If there is not, then it arrives a week later. And I was talking to two companies that are doing that. Um, they're doing that for France. For the moment, but they can expand to other ports in, in Europe. And I was like, man, this would be such a great thing to do more of this rather than using those expensive. You know, sometimes we even fly coffee. When you think about it, like, man, how crazy is this impact to fly coffee over? So. I, I, yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, that falls, you know, uh, on a bad patch even for wine because, as well, you know, then they ship a lot. And the footprint is, uh, yeah, yeah. Environment. I think uh, we need to we need to talk about that in another episode. That's a whole episode by alone. Uh, there's a there's a lot of talk, and I think 
I think you're right. I think it's just a matter of innovation, trying different things, and yeah. that just because, applies to it, yeah. yeah. Because, you know, going back to your point, um, you know, I, I'm also from a generation, I'm, I'm slightly older uh, than, than, than the, the young barista, but, um, you know, I remember when I would go to U.S., so when I was a teenager, I would go to U.S. for the first time. Back in the days, so I'm, I'm saying, you know, in the 90s, you would go there, you would buy a, a pair of Nike, and that pair of shoes, you would be the only one in your neighborhood, you know, back in Europe, because, you know, at that time, it, it wasn't that easy to get product from everywhere. And to be honest, I really like that feeling that, you know, you could go somewhere, had something very specifically, and so you could bring that back home and say, look what I've got from US. Okay, at that time it was Nike because NBA was so big and you know, you get those like Air Jordan, whatever, and like, people would freak out. I was like, wow, that's an amazing thing. <laughs> and so I like the idea that, you know, you go to Melbourne and you get the Melbourne experience and that's it. You, you can only get it here. So it kind of like give you the incentive to go there because otherwise if I can get all the coffees everywhere, I'm kind of like, I don't want to travel that much because I can get it. And, in a way, what I love about coffee is meeting people, meeting baristas, getting the experience. So if I have this extra incentive saying, you know what, that coffee, I'm only going to get it there because, you know, they don't ship it. That, that, that gives a bit more excitement. It gives more identity to different places. You know, coming back to Starbucks and McDonald's have the same everywhere. It's good to go somewhere in there, those differences. Oh, yes. And look, to, to top that, uh, I mean... You know, you can even see it on the flip side, which is obviously, you know, it's kind of like if you drink a little bit of Melbourne, then you really want to know more about the city because you're tasting a little. So maybe even if you drank Melbourne coffee in Europe, you still might be prompt and excited about traveling to Melbourne to really experience it too. But then, you know, it's, it's triple footprint because fly to get you the coffee, and fly to go to Melbourne. It's a tricky one. Look, I, I, it really is. Uh, but look, it's it's crazy. We've been talking for fifty eight minutes, um, and unfortunately, Instagram allows sixty, and then it gives you the horrible thirty seconds uh, calm down, which is really uh, harsh. Uh, first of all, thank you so much. I think this was such a valuable and great conversation, insightful, educational, inspirational. Uh, I think people who are going to really listen to this are going to really start a look who you are and what you do because it was really great and thank you for giving us your time it's morning there it's business for you time um and and and, and i know it's pandemic um is there anything that you left on the table even though there's only a minute left that you want to share about what's next for you um no so the only thing is like uh, look at our subscription for the people that are viewing it's uh, it's a great thing we're doing uh, on the dog coffee, but very high quality with this water that we were talking. Uh, so you get the same experience as us. We don't tell you what the coffee is so that you have no bias. You can just do it, you know, and, and cup it by yourself. And then later on, we reveal what it is. So it's a great experience to couple together, especially in this pandemic time where it's, you know, I wish we could all cup in the same room, but uh, we cannot. And so it's great. It's a, it's a nice thing we're doing. We're having a lot of fun on this uh, subscription. So yeah, people can check that. It, it's fun. I love it. Uh, thank you. I'll definitely check it out myself. And uh, Matthew, uh, merci beaucoup. 
Uh, yeah. Thank you very much for being here, and I hope to meet you here in Melbourne for the world, if this is still happening in real person, real life. Of course, you and Emmy, I would love to have a cup of coffee uh, in real life, but it's been a humbling pleasure to have you on. Thank you really. so much. A pleasure. Thank, thank you, Matthew. Thank you. You have an awesome day ahead. Thank, thank you, brother. You. Uh, there you have it, guys. I hope you enjoyed these other episodes. Uh, it's a few seconds remaining here, and... Uh, Yes, I think that there is not much to say. Just a big shout out to all of you guys who are still here. And uh, I really appreciate each and every one of you. Tanti, Julien, Ost, Vag, Steven, Rose. Uh, thank you so much. Stay safe up there and uh, enjoy your day.